When somebody is very fearful and they're just like, oh, I would never give up that control. It's probably fear. That fear tells me is that investor has not sat down and created a list of all those things they're fearful of. Because if they did, that is their investment thesis. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. Hi, Great to Wealth listeners. If you own and manage real estate, maybe you're ready for a lifestyle change. By selling your real estate, of course, you may have to pay substantial capital gain taxes. One option that may help you solve this is to learn about doing a 1031 tax deferred real estate exchange because you may be able to defer all of the capital gain taxes and you could even exchange into a replacement property that may allow you to get rid of all of the headaches that are involved with being an active landlord. My friend Ray Druitt is a managing director with Bangerter Financial Services and his goal is to help you understand all of the rules associated with 1031 exchanges. To learn more, you may call him directly at 801-312-9482. Once again, it's 801 801- 312-9482, or you may visit his website at 1031.bangerterfinancial.com slash 1031guy. Please be sure to see disclosures in the show notes. Welcome back, my great two wealth listeners. Today, we're going to be talking to Whitney with PassiveInvesting.com. Whitney is a director of investor education, and she does a lot of great things. One of the major role, part of her role is to bring your education, investor's education level from level zero to level infinity. It's a constant journey. So he keeps pushing out these contents. Every week I'm on one of our webinar. Whitney, thank you again for being on the show. Appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. This is going to be fun. It is. Before we go deeper into your own background beyond what you described, and you're way more talented than I just gave you the credit for. So we'll go back into that. But before we go there, I want to understand what does the word migrate to wealth mean to you? Yeah. So when I hear migrate to wealth, I mean, mine kind of focuses on the wealth piece. And, you know, one, it's a constant journey on how to create wealth. And for me, I think of the wealth journey as a game. The first thing you have to do is understand the game. And that's one of the things that I do here at passiveinvesting.com. Also, in my work at Ash Wealth, which is how can you create enough of passive income to live the lifestyle you want and do what you want when you want and be able to pass it on, right? It's one thing to win the wealth game for yourself. But for me, I'm in this for multi-generational wealth, whether passing it on to a spouse, a kid, or, you know, even donating to charity. And so once you understand the objective of the game, now you have to understand the different, essentially the rules of the game, which you Mm -hmm. have to master four different areas of wealth creation. And this is where I think it's really that migration that you talk about. How do you create wealth? How do you keep it? How do you grow it? Which is where most of us spend, you know, especially in real estate and passive investing, focus our time is on how to be a great investor. But then there's the fourth pillar. How do you pass this on? And it's not all about having just a will or a trust, but planning for other areas like incapacitation, yeah. stuff like that, that erode your wealth. Anyways, I think of that, like the wealth journey is a game. Like, do you know, understand the objective? Do you know the four areas, the rules of mm-hmm. the four areas that you have to master? And then how do you play the game well? And that's right. where it's really, it's constant evolution because I grew up with Mario Brothers, right? Like just because you could like get to level two doesn't mean you did it smoothly or effectively right. or efficiently. So right. you can't always go back and shore up your foundation. Yeah. And just make that journey far more. That's interesting how you brought Mario's brother because I remember level one was hardest until you cracked it, and level two became yeah. hardest, 
And they just kept going on and every level you didn't meet, it got like, I need to crack that, I need to crack that. And I think that's really where, not just with the wealth journey, but really anything in life is. It's only hard until you don't understand it. Once you understand and once you've accomplished it, you're always looking for something next, right? So help us understand, Whitney, was there a specific event in time? Let me ask this question differently. You've picked a very non-traditional path. When I say non-traditional path, it doesn't mean it's good or bad. It's a non-traditional path. You're now working nine to five. You're not going to Fortune 500 companies. All the passive investing has all the things to become one, but that's not your job. You're not working in that setting. What made you break away from that? You know, it was totally raised on good education, go to school, get a good job, get married, have kids. Yeah. Right? Like that was the American narrative. And I have done some of those things out of order. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but anyways, yeah. So I went to college, started off in med school, and then I went, you know, left med school because I was like, I don't, why do eight years of med school when all I want to do is work in public health? I can do yeah. that and not spend like a whole decade of my life doing that. After I left graduate school, I'm working in public health. And I was working on a CDC contract post 9-11 hmm. and traveling 80 hours a week. But I also at that point in time bought a house with a significant other. About a month later, the relationship fell apart and I had this house and I had all the expenses. Everything was under my name. So I stuffed a full of roommates and completed the rehab on the property and sold it thinking that's what I needed to do. Get right. rid of this, you know, because it's going to sink me. Well, when I walked away from the closing table with $52,000 in my pocket, I then realized I had borrowed all the money. I was 103% financed on the property. All my roommates had been paying for all the housing expenses, including utilities. I was putting money in my pocket every month. And I was like, oh, wow, I just made more money (laughs) tax-free with this house than I was like with my job that had me traveling so much. And so... That's really where the light bulb came on for me, that I could unhook the amount of money that I made. It was attached to value creation, not how much time I spent in a job. Yeah. And then I had a couple other things happen in my life with family members getting ill. And that really like led me to believe that I was like, I've got to find a way to work on my own terms and own my own time. And that way, own my the way I create an impact in the world. That's a journey of 20 years, and certainly there's rabbit holes we can dive down. Yeah, definitely. And we will do a few rabbit holes, not all of them. One thing you did say, I want to repeat that uh, because it's important. You said you were 103% leveraged. Don't do that. Whitney's not advising you to do that. That's what she ended up doing for her first property. That's not what she's saying. Don't go out, get it. If you want to get it, get it. Make sure it makes sense. I wouldn't recommend it. I'm pretty sure if you asked Whitney, she would say, don't do it again. I would never yeah, do it again. This is the wild, wild west of lending. I didn't know what I didn't know. And the person I owe the money to was not the bank, was a family member. Much different relationship. No, I love that. I'm assuming since that time, you've stuck with real estate, or at least real estate is a big part of your portfolio for wealth creation. Is that correct? Yeah. You know, since that first property, I have always been doing a house hack, live in flip, a flip into a rental or a flip into a rental into a short-term rental. I've always been doing something. Awesome. Anytime looking at asset class, which is different than real estate or real estate, it, it is for you. I had also was scaling my own 
private business. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that was another opportunity for me to generate wealth. And I've done pretty well at, you know, scaling service-based businesses. Those don't position as far as exits very well, like, you know, a product-based business would or something with monthly. Yeah, no, I love love that. So you really created multiple streams of income, even within real estate. You're talking about flipping, we're talking about house hacking, and then all these are interesting. I don't think we have the time to cover all of these. But these are different ways to generate either appreciation, capital gain, or cash flow from that, right? And then you're also saying is that you're even further diversified by basically starting your own company, investing in that business. What's that business? I think you mentioned that Ashwell's private coaching is, did I say it correctly? That's what it is now, but I've had three additional exits. I scaled a nutrition consulting practice. I also scaled a personal training practice. And, you know, Ash Wealth is like my third. My husband and I, we also have a camper van rental business. So wow. uh, we've got a lot of energy in the fire. How do you manage this? We're talking about the four levels of four different first steps in the framework, create, keep, grow, pass. With you in so many different brands, so many different businesses, so many different hats that you wear. Whitney, how do you do this? What's your secret? Extreme organization and leveraging other people, creating leverage wherever I can. And so for me, I try to really focus on being the CEO of all these different businesses, our private real estate, our camper van business, and then the consulting practice. You know, I have sold the other practices there, but I'm largely the CEO. And then I look to, it's kind of like Dan Sullivan's Who Not How. I'm looking to partner with the best people and bring on the best help. And sometimes it's my camper van business. It's I leverage to largely virtual assistants. Also, our daughter participates in a lot of these things. Like we have an Airbnb here and that's a great opportunity for us to help her understand value creation, but also, you know, just get her hands literally dirty cleaning. We had a property we had to clean yesterday. And so, I mean, I put her to work. Yeah, that's how they'll understand it. That's how they'll understand it. So Whitney, let's switch gears here. In your role at PassiveInvesting.com, which is a director of investor education, when you onboard an investor, and let's just say that they come in a variety of different experience levels, education levels, let's start with somebody who actually has no understanding. It has never done real estate, their nine to five job, there's no nine to five, 14 hours a day, they're making good money. They just don't have the wealth to show for it or the life for show for it because they have expenses and all that's all they have. So help us understand the journey of initiating with them to then getting them comfortable to a point where they feel comfortable and confident that they have enough understanding to invest, not with a blind faith, but more because they have spent the time reviewing things to talk to somebody. What does that process look like? Yeah. So coming from the corporate training world, really, you have to meet, it's match step lead. So when I have an initial conversation with an investor, I need to figure out where they are on their investing journey, like what you said. And then also understand what kind of tangible skills they have under their belt. They bought a primary house before they converted a house to a rental. They're further along the path of understanding what a private equity investment is, probably the industry would give them credit for. But also, I need to understand their goals, risk, and timeline. And so kind of taking all that together, then I understand, okay, we need to fill in the gaps of their understanding and remembering terminology. That's the first stop. And that goes for anything. You can look at Bloom's taxonomy, like how can we move them up a taxonomy skills? Because if somebody can't remember or understand a concept, 
I can't put an investment in front of them and expect them to analyze that and be comfortable with it. Correct. 100%. Yeah, I have to make sure that they understand and remember. And so, you know, I put out educational pieces, you know, targeted specifically for that. Mm -hmm. And then as they become more comfortable with understanding and remembering, might take two or three different contacts with them. Mm -hmm. Then I can start leveling up like, okay, great. Let's take this information and now start putting it into use. So you're analyzing. Now, that's kind of like the next step Mm -hmm. in analyzing and evaluating. And once they can kind of wrap their head around analyzation, then we can nudge them further into like evaluating and then decision making, right? But I can't say, hey, new investor who's never seen a private equity investment before and has only invested in stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. By the way, don't do stocks, bonds, and mutual funds for X, Y, and Z reasons. Mm -hmm. Do this private equity investment. Will you invest in So I have to move them up through that taxonomy, but it's really kind of match step leading. I figure out where they're at. Then I take them to the one step further and then lead them into a framework, so to speak, of being able to evaluate that investment and move making a decision. It's an interesting point, right? Because what I want to make sure that the listeners are listening, like your audience, the audience that I have is very sophisticated. They're really analytical. They're very smart in their own right, right? This is an interesting point, what Whitney talks about, because this is what she does for a living, right? This is education is what she's doing. She's leading at investor education at uh, PassiveInvesting.com. So just because you're smart doesn't mean you can understand the asset by yourself. You may or you may not. Chances are you may not know everything about it. Now you're super smart. Every one of you is super smart. So you'll figure it out. But what, what someone like Whitney or I or other folks like us will do is we're trying to compress your timeline. Right. That's all. We're basically saying is that, hey, you know what? For you to understand, when you had to read a book, you had to first understand A, B, C, D. You couldn't just open up a book and read it. That's exactly what I always say is that you have to bring a step down and say that what's the basic elements of private equity investing? You have to understand those. You have to understand those terminologies because a lot of the marketing decks are going to pitch you those. And you have to be able to look underneath to it of what's real, what's not real. That's important. So I think that's really where the crux of that is. Really, if you don't have a Whitney in your life, don't have a Sakit in your life, you don't have anyone in your life, this is exactly what you'll do. You'll go go deeper and say that, let me understand how this industry works. Let me understand what terminologies people are using. And I'm a consultant. We could get an expert in anything for within two weeks. I just need two weeks. But I need lots of people to talk to because that's exactly what we're doing. We're compressing our timeline. We're talking to people who are better than us to make sure we understand that. And that's really what it is. But the goal really is for you not to invest in the first deal that you see. You may, but that's never the goal. The goal is to make sure that you're educated first. And then there's plenty of deal. I tell everyone, if, if the current deal, never get pressurized with anyone saying that this is the deal of the lifetime. No, it's not. Because the next one's going to be the same deal of the lifetime. The next one's going to be the same deal of the lifetime. Just make sure you're educated. Now, where do you see, Whitney, some of the friction points in people's path to journey of learning? Where do you see most heavily friction points are they? Is it because they don't want to accept what they don't know? Is it because they want to move too fast? Is it because they just don't have enough time? When you reflect back on your years of doing this, where do you see the common friction points? Yeah, I think there's really three friction points. One, just, mm-hmm. you know, because we were talking about the education piece, somebody assuming that because they're smart in one area that it they lean too hard on that. Like if somebody is an engineer and great with numbers and 
they only look at the deal where they need to now develop skills in the other area to better an operator and better market, right? So really, you know, taking that step back and just, you know, kind of a child's like mine, like, what do I not know? Because it's rarely about the deal. It's always about the operator. Like, always. who is that operating? Yeah. And more importantly, are your goals, risk, and timeline aligned with the operator? Mm-hmm. No, because you might love an operator, but if they're constantly doing major development deals and you just want cash flow, you're never going to be aligned, right? right. Um, other friction points that I see <laughs> is just fear. And really, honestly, like when somebody is very fearful and they're just like, oh, I would never give up that control. Sometimes that word comes across as, I want control. Yeah. Okay, why do you want? It's probably fear. Now, here's the thing. That fear, what that tells me is that investor has not sat down and created a list of all those things they're fearful of. Because if they did, now that is their investment thesis, mm-hmm. right? Because when they, that's going to be part of their due diligence checklist, right? If I'm never going to invest in an asset where the a new operator or whatever, let's sure. just put it that way. Sure. Then great. Okay. What's that threshold? Five years, seven years, 10 years? Perfect. Fantastic. Yeah. Just, that is a line on your due diligence checklist and away we go. And usually when I work with somebody, we talk through all those various fears. I'm like, this is now just a line on your due diligence checklist. And they think that there's also the fear of missing out in there, right? right? Like the next deal, this is the deal of the century. There's the ability to really kind of, there's so many ways to invest in private equity these days, so many operators, so many different types of asset classes. There's really, I feel a good asset, maybe not the perfect asset, but a good asset for everybody's portfolio. I think there is no perfect, right? Because it's in the time where you are, where you're making the decision. There was a study done, you may may have heard of it. They went to a grocery store and they had two boots, two tables sat in, one which had only three, and I'm making it up, shampoo bottles. I don't remember the product. The one that had literally 50 shampoo bottles. And they really figured out the one that had three three tables with three options only, people were able to make decisions faster. And really what they changed well, that's was- the third only, friction point. <laughs> only the label of the shampoo was different. Everything else was similar. Mm-hmm. The brand was mm-hmm. different, right? They did a different branding, but the products, the ingredients, everything was similar. But people are not able to make the decision. I think that's exactly what we're saying is that if you're waiting for the perfect deal, you'll never find it in the lifetime. Because there is no perfect deal. Mm-hmm. If depending on the options you have, and the options you feel like you may have in the upcoming future, you have to make a decision. And you have to put yourself a timeline saying that, okay, I'm going to wait for two more years. This is not perfect. But at some point, I'm going to say that my perfect is never going to happen. While I'll continue waiting for it, I'm going to start making actions, right? Which leads me to the second question, uh, uh, follow-up question there, Whitney, is that how much time in general people take between contacting you first and not knowing anything to then taking an action. And when I say action, action as in investing either with you or without you, because they may say that I'm just going to buy myself a rental property because that's what I want to do, which is perfect. If that's what happens, that's what happens. Um, So how much time does it usually take them? Probably four to six months for them to take some sort of action. If they have the capacity to take action in ambiguity, and, you know, I'm right now we're all talking about inflation. We're coming out, you know, we're recording this in, you know, September 2023. You know, yeah. we just had a, a year record high inflation. You know, are we, we've been talking about a recession for over a year. 
there's a lot of ambiguity out there. And here's the thing is there's always ambiguity yeah. in the marketplace. Yeah. It's just that whenever you've been on that run up, like we were for like the past 10 years, it feels easier to invest. Two years ago, the question was, are we investing at the top of the market? And what happens when asset prices right. reset? Right. You know, there's always going to be that. And so that's where I try to help people level set them with skills and principles to invest by. That way, they're not investing based on headlines, but on true fundamental principles that if they just adhere to those, they will make money whether the market goes up, down or sideways. Perfect. Well, Whitney, I know we're short on time here. So I want to make sure that we leave our listeners with three actionable things, just three. If they don't do anything else after this podcast, what's going to be those three things they should just do right away to jump into real estate, to break out of the nine to five? Proverbial line to ah, obviously, if you're listening to this, you're already well on your path on your education. But I would find probably where my world really cracked open is working with somebody, a mentor in paid mentorship, free mentorship, but somebody is, that is on the path that you want to walk and mm-hmm. following them and finding out, you know, because success leaves clues and really following that person. You know, because the shortest distance between two points is most people say it's straight line and it's not. It's when you fold the paper in half. Yeah. And so that's what we by collapsing that time. And so that would be the first thing is pick somebody to follow and you know replicate their journey, either in you know, some sort of relationship. Two, I would create a framework for yourself to make decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, think of the time that you made a really quick or very large decision, you made it really fast. Think through that framework and how you move through that decision, because that will now inform that decision that you need to make to go into real estate. And then you understand, okay, now where are my holes? Where am I lacking the mindset, the knowledge, or the skills to be able to move through that framework of decision-making quickly? Go fill those gaps, right? You don't need to double down on your like very amazing in Excel. You don't double down on the Excel skills. Fill, you yeah. know, backfill the other skill sets or the knowledge or find somebody mm-hmm. circling back to that mentor that can help you do that. Love that. So really three things and I couldn't agree more with any of these, right? That one is find somebody to follow in person, virtually, through the books, through whatever mean you if you gotta pay, you pay. If you have a friend, whoever it is, pick a person are two. And just make sure you look at the follow their success and learn from the path they took. Now, your path may end up being different, but at least you're starting out. The second really is, how do you make decisions? Because if it takes you 10 years to make one decision, we need to change that. And really, what you want to figure out is, as Whitney mentioned, is go back in time where you made a quicker decision and analyze that what made that decision quick. Either you knew about it, or you felt comfortable, or somebody else was involved, whatever that framework is, figure out the decision-making framework because you want to make quicker decisions. The really third thing is self-awareness, which is more about where do you have holes? Where do you have gaps? And I think you alluded towards that, but you didn't use the same words, is most people want to focus on their weakness and say, I'm going to improve that weakness, right? And something that you mentioned was very interesting is you want to leverage other people to manage your weakness because you don't have to, because your weakness... Our strengths are limited. Our weaknesses are unlimited. We all have that. Not just me or you. Everybody has it. If you start focusing on weakness, there's not enough lifetime available for us to fix all our weaknesses. So what instead, focus on the strengths, whatever strengths you have, and that's great. 
but now figure out what your blind spots are because the blind spots are what's going to derail you, not your strengths. So we need to address that. And then you partner with somebody, you bring somebody else on, a mentor, a business partner, whoever that is, basically help you cover that blind spot. Well, Whitney, any parting comments? I know we had a few more questions, but I know you're running short on time. So I want to be very, very conscious of that. Any parting comments for our listeners? I think we left you and the listeners with some amazing information and frameworks to work through. I think it's really about taking that consistent and persistent action. Yeah. Because when you start, even if it's just teeny tiny small, maybe it's just like signing up on an operator's list or scheduling a phone call with an operator, taking that small action consistently and repeatedly, and then assessing periodically on what's the next step you can take. And just moving it incrementally forward, you can turn your world around in a very short period of time. Awesome. Whitney, I love talking to you. Like always, we'll definitely, I'm sure there'll be plenty other episodes with you in it. If people want to learn more about what you do and kind of get connected with you, where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me at PassiveInvestingWithWhitney.com. There, I have some free goodies that help people understand how to you know, get into your first or next passive investment. And if you're interested in one-on-one support, you can reach out to me at ashwealthco at gmail.com or ashwealth.com. Awesome. Well, thank you, Whitney. Thank you, our listeners, for staying with us till the end. It was probably one of the best education framework that we have heard for so far. Go make it worthwhile. Go make it happen. Until next time, we'll see you again. again. My great to our listeners, it is possible that you could defer paying high tax bill by completing a 1031 exchange and invest your real estate capital gains into a qualified replacement property. My friend Ray DeWitt at Bangerter Financials is your single point of contact for 1031 exchanges and tax saving strategies. To learn more, call him at 801-312-9482. That's 801-312-9482 or visit his website at 1031.bangerterfinancial.com forward slash 1031 guy. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.